Hello, I'm Ben Keane, your host, and you're listening to a Virgin Startup podcast produced with support from our friends at Virgin Money. This podcast is a recording of a meetup which took place in 2020, right in the middle of the pandemic. Virgin Startup meetups are free events designed for founders just like you to hear from incredible people and network with like-minded entrepreneurs. We hope that you come away from them feeling inspired with some practical action, which you can then put into your own business. Right. Onto this episode and how to start a business in 2021. I was joined on the panel by Aisha Pakravan, who is founder of The Plattery, a custom hospitality business offering luxury platter boxes, who pivoted to providing free meals to vulnerable people during the pandemic. Also, Hannah Adams, founder of wellness puzzle company, Pieces of the Puzzle, and Roshan Dorset, founder of ethical skincare startup, The Glossary. All of their info and links will be shared in the show notes. We discussed everything from what it's like to struggle as a sole founder through the isolation of COVID through to some really inspiring stories of how they overcame these challenges to all launch thriving businesses and found out some really great advice along the way for new founders. I loved this discussion. I hope you will too. As ever, please do subscribe and share these podcasts with other founders. I'd love to welcome our speakers up onto the stage. We've got Aisha Pakravan, who's the founder of The Plattery, um, and last year launched Vital Meals Tackling Food Poverty. Here she is. Hi. Um, hi, Aisha. Welcome. And we've also got Hannah Adams, who's the founder of Pieces of the Puzzle, Puzzle an eco-friendly well-being first puzzle company launched hi. in lockdown. Here she is. Welcome, Hannah. Hi. Um, and finally, we have Roshan Dorset, who's the founder of The Glossary, an early-stage skincare startup using the nutritious ingredients uh, in their products. Um, and Roshan is walking up the stairs and will join us any second. Here she is. Hi. I tell you what, that was slick. That was slick. You even came up in order of as I was <laughs> introducing you. I'm, the audience is like that. Yeah, this is Oscar level of production. They might have rehearsed it. They might have rehearsed it, not much. Um, it's lovely to see you all. Um, thanks for joining us. We've got hardly anyone listening into our conversation tonight. So it's just the four of us, you know, 600. Um, but that's a great opportunity to share our stories. So um, you've all done something really impressive in the last year. I'm sure you've done many impressive things before that, but especially in the last year. Um, and we'd like to hear your personal journeys and what you've brought into the world and where you're up to. So to start with, I'd love you to go back to that moment that led to what you're doing now. What was the, the moment that led you to say, I'm going to start something? And you can go back to the thing before what you're doing now, if it, if it makes sense. Um, and, and tell us tell us the journey. And Hannah, can, if I can start with you, where did this where did this begin? Yeah, so um, my kind of journey into entrepreneurship actually started back in 2017, uh, which was when I received the funding from Virgin Startup for my first business, which was um, Naked Dough, which is a cookie dough um, shop. Um, that's still going. It's coming up to four years now. Um, and up until lockdown, uh, it was a, you know, we had a retail store in Camden. It was doing really well. We had an online store, but it was probably about five to 10% of our sales. Um, and then lockdown happened and um, we became a fully online business. And thankfully we were able to, to transfer our business completely online. And on, on the side of that, um, I'm kind of addicted to starting businesses and um, and we were given a jigsaw puzzle for Christmas, which was a Harry Potter jigsaw. It was wrapped in shrink wrap, 
the puzzle pieces came in um, a bag, a plastic bag, and um, I was doing the jigsaw whilst everything else was going on. As, as COVID started to become a thing, uh, business became quite stressful. We didn't know what was going on. And um, I found this moment where doing a jigsaw was thoroughly enjoying. It, it was such a mindful activity for me. But looking at other jigsaws out there, I couldn't find anything that I thoroughly wanted to do, or get, you know, enjoyed to do. I, I like art. Um, and I thought, there's a gap in the market for a plastic-free jigsaw brand. Um, where the art and the, de the design is so stunning that you would put it on your wall. Um, when, when you had that, sorry, Hannah, jump in. When you yeah. had that aha moment, was Naked Doe still uh, in business? What stage were you at with it? Yeah, so Naked Doe was in business. Um, so we were, but I guess it was quite quiet. It was January and February where, you know, it's rainy. Um, Camden Market is, you know, is an outside market. So we're seeing... Um, less sales because of um, everyone on a diet in January and um, less tourists. So I guess I did have more time, but then it was, and I also had my wedding. I got married in February. So there was quite a lot going on, um, but also this whole thing around COVID and, you know, it becoming more of a thing, us realizing, you know, if this, if lockdown does happen, there's no way there's going to be tourists in, in summer. So we needed to think quickly. And actually we decided to, to fully invest in online um, and um, that was when I started getting samples for the jigsaws. Um, and I was just about to order um, the first lot of jigsaws and we went into lockdown and the supplier said, it's gonna be at least six weeks now before you get your, your product. So is it, was this the first lockdown in March, 2020? Yeah, okay. yeah so I you were, you were anticipating this, I mean, I, I, it may be obvious now, but you really were anticipating the need well. Um, and you had that yeah. insight around the jigsaw really before the idea of a lockdown was a real thing. Yeah, so the the idea around starting a puzzle business was when I started doing the jigsaw, the Harry Potter jigsaw um, back in January. Um, but then it took a while for me to do it. Um, and it, it kind of happened whilst everything was going on. And it, it felt so right to actually dedicate and commit time and money to it that when I actually came to order, it was slightly too late. And, you know, I'm kicking myself now. But... Um, at the end of the day, like we still managed to launch. I launched in June. Um, my co-founder came on board in August and Christmas came and we, we did really well. Um, and yeah, so it's it's a thriving business. I'm so lucky that I have two businesses running side by side and I'm able to do both quite wow. easily. I, I, dough and puzzles, it's an unlikely pairing, <laughs> but it's brilliant. Um, two quick questions. I'll come on to Roshan's story next. Um, one, how did you find your co-founder? And two, how did you figure out um, that supply chain? Because you, you're going for something that hadn't been perhaps done before. It's certainly in that in the, in the puzzle world, making it plastic free. What was the were those the two biggest yeah. challenges you faced? How did you solve them? Um, I was quite lucky that I knew my co-founder. She she's called Daphne, and she actually lives in Florida. Um, so we're five four thousand miles apart, but we've managed to make it work. You know, it kind of works really well. I work on Naked Doe in the day, and then I work on pieces of the puzzle in the evening when she's active online. So we we work together. We're on Slack. We're constantly talking. And the reason she came on board actually was because I, I was maybe having a slight crisis in that um, I was taking on a business by myself, running up to Christmas, and I was speaking to her about it. And she was like, "This just sounds like an amazing opportunity, like um, an adult puzzle brand that's modern and stunning, and um, we can work with, um, you know, artists, female artists." Because I was commissioning 
artist at the time as well. Um, so yeah, she came on board and it's worked really well. Um, she does all the social media, I do all the logistics. Um, so yeah, it's great. Um, your second question, what was it again? So around around the actual setting up the product and the supply yeah. chain, was that, was that obviously you got held back in March. How yeah. did you figure it out? And like, did, how did you do it without spending a lot of money? So um, I think it goes back to what Andy was saying about, um, you know, profit, but also with purpose. It was quite good that at the time when I was launching the business, I wanted it to do good for the planet um, and for people. So I knew I wanted it to be made in Britain and plastic free. Um, so the first thing I did was just contact Google. Google is your friend. And I contacted every jigsaw manufacturer I could in the UK. Um, and initially, I actually launched the product not in a box. It was in a, a fair trade cotton, fair trade, a fair trade cotton bag, because um, I liked the idea that you could fit the bag in a letterbox friendly um, e-commerce e-commerce box. Um, so it was it was really cheap to send. Um, but then, obviously, as, as we came up to Christmas, I realized that I wanted to do something that was a bit more special and you could gift it. So that's when I, I, went, I went to boxes. So I use a different manufacturer for those. Um, there, has, there have been issues with the fact that it is plastic free. Because they aren't shrink wrapped, it means that they, they can get damaged um, much more easily. Um, but I feel like that's a fair trade off um, for a product um, that, that's good for the planet. Um, and do you know what? It works really well. The, pro the products that are slightly damaged, we actually sell them at a discounted price and people do buy them. Um, the campaign is around imperfect boxes but perfect jigsaws. Because at the end of the day, it's still a jigsaw. People can still enjoy the product. It's just the box that's slightly damaged. Um, and that's that's actually been such a great opportunity for us. Yeah, and as soon as it gets to someone's house, a dog or a baby is going to chew it anyway. So, you know, I'd take one of those for sure. I, what I love about um, your business, Hannah, and idea is it sounds so obvious, right? It's one of those things. It's a sign of a good business. Is like, oh, why, why didn't puzzles and games exist without plastic? that were basically yeah. designed for a more, you know, an adult audience. And it's one of the things that's one of our pet hates is like, ah, oh, presents, like we're really trying, always trying to be really careful about it, but you can't control it all. And so you want to recommend brands to friends and all of this. So a win. And we've got more to, more to ask you on that, but let's come to, to Roshan next. Tell us about when your startup journey began. Yeah, so I think my entrepreneur journey kind of began back in like 2012, but I didn't actually know that that was what it's called i started like making my own natural skincare products and it was because i was getting allergic reactions to some of the products that you're buying in your you know local beauty stores so i wanted to try and strip it back and use as the most natural ingredients as possible so that's how i started making like lip balms body oils face oils and then that kind of like hobby trying to kind of like progressed into wanting to learn more professional skills so I took on a um, natural and organic um, skincare course so I am now a certified natural skincare formulator and um, but the, I think the actual push to do it before I launched the glossary I was actually working at Amazon I was working in their bookmaking department and for four days a week every day um, four days a week um, 10 hours a day I was just in this factory you know, no fresh air, no light. And I was coming home and my just skin felt gross. Like I just felt like there was all paper dust on me. And I thought, how could I create something that aligns with my values as a vegan? I've been vegan for three years now um, and kind of incorporate that with my skills as a natural skincare formulator. So that's kind of how the glossary 
manifested the idea that um, within our products we use fresh fruit vegetable ingredients so we use cold pressed oils and they maintain the high um, therapeutic benefits and refined oils to get more benefits using the products and um, yeah it's going really well so I launched it in March 2020 yes yeah almost a year almost a year ago and um, yeah it's just really exciting um, we've won we've won awards um, we won a best women's health best um, women's health beauty award for best facial oil of 2020. Um, and I kind of like the idea that I've kind of taken something that is important to me, you know, my like, like vegan lifestyle, and incorporated it into a beauty brand. So, you know, not only are they nutritious for your skin, we also consider the sustainability element. Like we have uh, Clean Greens, which is our um, hero product. It also comes in like a refillable option, so you're not. Okay, what's it called again? Your hero product. Clean Greens. It's a super. Clean Greens. Yeah, it's a superfood. Yeah, yeah, of course you have. Show it of off. Course, that. Of course, and then it comes in a refill option, so you don't. So you can reuse the plastic dropper, so it's not as much plastic waste as if you're buying a new dropper every time. So it's kind of like There's um, there's so much to dig into here, Roshan. First of all, my first reflection is that you know, your overnight success, which I know is not what it feels like yeah. to you, but it looks like from the outside, or suddenly the grocery, cool brand, great products, winning awards, uh, you know, confident, passionate entrepreneur leading it. But there's, you know, at least six, ten, six to 10 yeah. years of experimenting, exploration, you know, so all these overnight successes, and you're only just beginning, right, on the business journey, exactly. there's always a, a big, so the sooner you start playing with with the things you're curious about. I also want to talk to you about Amazon, because that's... Uh, Amazon that, was that, But experience. that's not for tonight. <laughs> that's not for Amazon tonight. was an experience, yeah. Because it's kind of shaped our world in many ways, good and bad, right? Um, yeah. um But not, not, doesn't do well when we're talking about the climate. Um, or no. social work conditions. Um, exactly. But anyway, we won't focus on that tonight. Um, we'll come back to more on the glossary. But uh, next up, Aisha, tell us about your startup journey. So my startup journey started pretty much August 2019. Um, I had decided that I was going to start a catering company. Um, I was working as, a, as an estate agent, so it was a huge change for me. Um, but I'm a massive foodie would an understatement I think I'm actually borderline obsessed with food so having worked as an estate agent I then decided the time has come to start a catering business just cook just just do something different um so slightly on a whim I applied for Virgin Startup um I kind of had an idea in my head and I thought well might as well give it a go and see what happens and then before I knew it I had um you know the loan had come through and I had the approval and I think um Hannah Roshan you might agree that when you get that sort of confidence from Virgin and they say, yes, you know, off you go, start your business. You kind of suddenly think, oh God, I've got to do this now. So I sort of just jumped off the edge, um, started my business, The Plattery, and we had been going for about six months before um, kind of COVID really effect, really came into play. So first six months of trading were really good. So I'd catered for Facebook. Um, I'd catered for um, London Fashion Week twice. So I did the breakfast for the models. Um, and I'd also catered for Virgin. So we had cooked for some pretty cool people. Um, and then what happened in March of 2020, obviously everybody knows COVID. Um, but I had a pretty massive pivot. Um, so I pivoted away from the plattery the product that we were the product that we were creating was kind of grazing tables picnic platters sort of event catering stuff um and i took that sort of 
model of cooking and feeding people, then I effectively started a not-for-profit. So I started a food charity. Um, I didn't really mean to start what I've started. I just wanted to help some people initially. And I thought, well, you know, all my business has been cancelled. So I might as well see if some neighbours want some food or see if anybody needs some help. Um, and what ended up happening was I started an initiative called Vital Meals. Um, and I went from providing 10 meals a day from my home, from this kitchen, to um, 1,000 meals a week. And since last March, we've now done just, we've done about 25,000 meals. Um, and so I now run the plattery with the purpose of profits from the sales of the plash, we now go back into vital meals and we continue to provide 600 to a thousand free meals a week for people who, for whatever reason, can't feed themselves in London. There you go. There are 600 people cheering for you, not just you, Aisha, <laughs> but Roshan and Hannah as well for the bringing purpose and impact as well as starting something. Cause it sounds like you just double up your workload. Can we just, can we just drill into those numbers a little bit, Aisha? So sure. you, you, you have to, you have that blockage on the platter. You've got, you've done the hard work to get it going. COVID comes, yeah. shuts it down for a period. Yeah. You go, hold on, there's some food waste here. Could we do something purposeful with it? You, you cook 10 meals. Like I get that. How do you, how do you go from 10 to a thousand? What happened there? And what did you do to make that step up? I mean, I actually have to say, I ask myself that quite a lot. Um, I started posting on social media, um, if I'm being totally honest. I've never really firsthand seen the power of social media until I just put effectively what was a call out. I just said, you know, if anybody needs some food, I have food. I'm a chef. I've got nowhere else to put my food. So let me help. Um, and just through sharing, just through sending messages on mutual aid groups. I'm sure lots of different people will know that their local community has a mutual aid group. Um, just by putting the message out there, the response was overwhelming. Um, I think it was also at a time when the panic buying was really bad. So I started Vitamin Wheels on the 18th of March, and that was when you would go to the supermarket and there would be absolutely nothing there. So it was quite a, it was quite a desperate time. Um, and I think I just happened to be you know, able to help at the right time when people were really were really needed it. So it just, it spitballed. Um, and then I was lucky enough that local newspapers and some local radio stations picked it up and helped kind of spread the word. And then then it really just gained momentum by itself. And before I knew it, we were doing a thousand meals a week. Yeah, and, and you were you were serving people who were suffering. And, and what was the, how did you, what was the business model for this? Was it just donations or how did it work? So initially I took, um, whatever remaining profits I had from the plattery from 2019 and I put that money into vital meals um, and I also put a little bit of my own personal money in to get it off the ground after about a month I realized that it wasn't gonna it wasn't gonna stop and it wasn't gonna calm down and actually we needed some serious money so then we started a fundraising drive um, and so far I've raised 35,000 pounds for vital meals um, and it costs about one pound a meal to send out so that sort of gives you a gauge of how much you know how much much it costs to run vital meals for a year um but yeah initially it was self-funded and then it's pretty much only been funded through the generosity of lovely strangers and kind people yeah but you've proved that you can do it which is what why people are backing you and and what's is it with the plattery now do you or as you come as we come out hopefully come out of covid and return to some kind of normal and the demand for the plattery increases again is there going to is do you plan to pitch the model more as for every plattery, we will be able to deliver X number of meals, or are you going to keep them a bit more arm's length? No, they're good. They're, they hold each other's hands now. Um, so I was up until the end of last year, so up until December, saying all profits are going back into vital meals because I just needed to make sure that everybody got their food. And now that we kind of 
slightly have a little bit more of a roadmap about what maybe things might be looking like at the end of this year. And, you know, you can maybe plan a little bit more about what your business is going to be doing. Um, now we say that every platter that we sell, um, because we changed our product now, so we sell smaller packaged platters. Um, so every platter that we sell provides 15 free meals for somebody else. So the idea wow. is you can eat well and do good. That's kind yeah. of our model. It's a brilliant and simple message to communicate. And we've seen the one-for-one one message uh, being used, but also abused, right, over the years, mm. um, really effectively in terms of positive impact, but also a bit of, I don't know what you call greenwashing, social washing, one-for-one yeah. one washing, whatever you want to call it. But um, you're proving it, and, and it's great. You've, you've, you know, it's the best way to spread a story when you have that kind of impact. Um, there's a question here. There's a bunch of questions already coming in from people. Um, and so I want to just throw these out to the three of you. Just jump in, pick it up, and we can have a conversation around them. Um, so Becky is asking around mentorship. So all of you sound, you know, I'm hearing your stories for the first time, and I'm sure for the audience as well, you sound like you knew exactly what you were going to do next, right? Well, I did this. I thought about, well, is there plastic in this puzzle? And then I got on Google. And then, then I, like, it seems very clear and confident, your steps. But I know that this is not true. So so in in or certainly in my experience of doing this. Um, so was there someone helping you guide you through these decisions? Because at every, every juncture, you, you have, uh, you know, 5, 10, 20 different ways you can go. And you can only work on one or two things at once, right? So how have you made your decisions, especially in the last year during COVID, when it's been so much, so many variables and so many unknowns? Um, have you had a guide or has it been pure instinct? What's, guide, what's helped you make the decisions? So I have a um somebody called michael he's a friend of mine but he's also an entrepreneur he runs his own businesses and he's very successful he helps me when it gets all too much you know and i think oh my god i've got 25 ideas running around my brain and i can't process them all um so i spitball with him but i would say in terms of making decisions and making the next move you can always seek advice and you can always speak to other people but ultimately you're the one that's going to know the best next step. And sometimes the best next step may not be what 100% seems the right one or the most straightforward. You know, a lot of people have said to me, why did you, you started giving away product for free? You know, that's, doesn't, that doesn't necessarily make business sense, but it's the right thing to do. So I would say that you have to know your own mind when seeking advice because advice can be helpful, but it can, if you're, you know, you don't want to get strayed off the path. So it's a fine balance between seeking advice, but then also sitting yourself down and thinking, right, We've got ourselves to this point. What are we going to do? Yeah, absolutely. Hannah or Sharon? Yeah, yeah. I, agree. I would definitely echo what um, Ayesha said as well. I mean, um, I think I'd built myself up. I'd attended the, you know, Virgin Start. I've done a lot of masterclasses. I felt like I'd attended all the masterclasses. I'd built up my skills to a certain point and it was kind of like, okay, so now's the time that I stop talking about it and actually doing it. Um, and as Ayesha said, you just have to trust your intuition. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of um, opinions out there about how you should run your business, but ultimately it is down to you and how you want to define success in, on your own terms, really. So there's times when you know I, I think I do annoy my mum and my sister with like I'm testing formulations on them about 15 formulations a week. Like, what do you think of this? What is the smell on this? But ultimately, the biggest decision lies with myself and just being confident in my abilities and confident in what I can create. 
That reminds me of a great trap, and I'm sure your mum and your sister, uh, they may even be listening in now, watching it now, are fantastic at giving you positive feedback. But there is a trap around asking people who are close to us, yeah. who love us, about what they think about our ideas. Because, you know, it, they'll, they'll either respond in one of two ways. I don't know about your family, Rashan, but they'll either say, oh, this is the best scent I've ever smelled, or like, this is terrible, or like, what are you doing? Like, this is i much prefer the other one yeah but they're me, very hard they're very straight down the line which can be a bit of a you know punch to the ego but sometimes you have to put that aside like, okay, right so, so you, get, you get the, you get the tough love response oh yeah i get the tough love very straight down the line like they just tell me how it is no i don't like the feel of that you need to try it again i don't think it's quite there and i'm like oh okay like i've just spent you know a good yeah. couple of weeks working on this i thought it was there but it's not let's try again and, and you're like you you haven't even paid for this stuff you're getting it for free anyway exactly unbelievable exactly. But no, there, there, there is an important point there whereas if we ask our people if you know people who love us who are invested in us emotionally um they're probably not going to be the give us the best data because they're biased right they have their biases so it's good for that kind of support. And it sounds like you have two two people that are really good at it. But um, I would say, like, be cautious. because But it is our instinct to ask people close, what do you think? Because you want that confidence boost. Um, but don't take take their yeah, emotional no, positivity, yeah. but not necessarily their data. Exactly, yeah. Uh, what about you, Hannah? Yeah, I guess to add to that, um, like somewhere we often ask our customers, you know, on Instagram, um, we do polls, um, which has mass, you know, kind of sways us depending on you know what they what they do and what they say. Um, but yeah, I, I, again, the same. If there's something I, I want to know, I Google it and I learn about it from different sources. There are so many good social media consultants out there providing free advice mm. um, through through their own social media channels and websites. Um, I think what massively helped pieces of the puzzle was the fact that I had learned a lot of the mistakes through my first business. Um, so I knew what worked well and what didn't work well um, for a product-based business. I think one of the things that has worked really well um, has been influencer marketing. Um, so um, our kind of key pillars of pieces of the puzzle of made in Britain, plastic-free, female-founded. So when I first started out, you know, I had 50 to 100 followers, maybe a few more. Um, but I reached out to quite quite big influencers um, and and pushed this kind of this story, this hook, um, you know, that's what you talk about when you're, when you're doing press release, the hook. Um, uh, but I, I basically just talked about these three things. Hi, I'm Hannah, I'm the co-founder, I'm the founder of a, of a jigsaw company, you know, we're meant to be mindful, it's plastic free. Would you, would you like a sample? No obligation to post about it. Um, and literally everyone I messaged said, that's such a great idea, I love that concept. Um, yeah, sure. And then I'd send them one and then, um, you know, they would all share content. I had a promo code ready. Um, so then if they posted about it, I'd be like, thank you so much for posting about my product. Would you mind sharing this promo code with your followers? Um, and they get 10% off. And I, I instantly got sales and followers through that. That was a massive growth for us um, at the very beginning. Um, and, then, um, and then my second thing was um, looking at different channels to sell the product. Um, I was, again, I was very, very small when I first started out, um, so I really wanted to look at other other ways, other places we could sell. So I applied to Not on the High Street. I sell through Wolf and Badger, um, Worth. Um, I started Etsy, but that's not gone very well. Um, and uh, and then I just contacted hundreds of independent stockists. Um, again, with the three messages about our brand and um, took uh, like paid for photography and. Um, 
yeah, it, we got into about 12 stockers for Christmas, and one of them has ordered four times. Um, so it's, it's been incredible um, just learning from the first business and then applying it to this one straight away, and we're already seeing results. Well, it's so, so brilliant. And so uh, you make it sound simple, but it's just excellent execution, which all three of you have done. Um, so the two things that I'm hearing around this in terms of how do you make good decisions, how do you get guidance, whether it's through a mentorship or, or like decide what to do next. And the two things that seem to be like similar through all your stories are one, your purpose for existence is super clear. And that actually helps with so much decision making. You're like, does this fit why we exist? And it's mm. yes or no, right? There's there's yeah. very rarely something in the middle. So that helps with prioritization. And the second thing is you're gathering data all the time because you're digital. So you're like, okay, did people buy it? Did people talk about it? Did people come back? And that and that immediately helps shape what you do next, right? Yeah. So it's all the opinion-based feedback. Um, so that's really helpful. Now, we want to talk money, um, or Sarah does. Sarah says, um, how did the panelists manage their personal financial responsibilities whilst taking their first steps in setting up their business? So we all know this is a juggle. So it'd be great to hear how you, how you managed it and what, what helped you. So I'm like, oh, honey, yeah, I used to go ahead and then we'll, yeah. get, we'll go around. Um, so I, when I first took the Virgin Startup loan, I basically I just saved I kind of thought to myself right how I want to get I work in like three to six monthly increments and I basically saved my rent and then a estimation of how much money I would need to live and be in London and also not have to you know make too many cuts I think it's been being sensible you know you can say oh I'm going to live off this small amount but actually realistically you need you need to be realistic with yourself about the cuts you, you will and won't make um so I worked and well, because I was an estate agent so I worked put money aside then went for it um and then when I started Vital Meals which was uh during COVID so March of last year um that time I actually didn't because it was completely not for profit I didn't actually take I haven't taken a salary from Vital Meals um and I don't know if that's something I would advise actually in hindsight I think that I would advise always protecting yourself and putting your finances first. So I think when you start a business, Rashan Hannah, I don't know if you guys agree, it feels so weird taking money from this tiny baby thing that you're that you're trying to grow and you don't want to take the money away from it. But actually, your finances are so important. So actually protecting yourself and making sure that you're still paying yourself for the time that you're putting in and the effort that you're putting in, I would say is quite important. Yeah, I think that's a great insight. Hannah? Yeah, so um, I, I did. Ha I had savings as well when I first started Naked Dough, and we also had the um, the Virgin Startup loan. Um, and it initially, Naked Dough was meant to be a three week pop up, and it ended up being a six month pop up um, because it did it did so well. They asked us to stay on, and luckily from that, um, we were we managed to open additional stores. Um, and then with pieces of the puzzle, I started really small. Like I, I was very lucky that the, the initial jigsaw manufacturer I worked with, um, I only had to order 50 jigsaws and I did uh, 60 jigsaws, sorry, so it's 20 of each design I started with. And then from there, it just grew and grew and grew. And then when Daphne came on board, she, she invested some of her money into the business, which meant that we could launch the boxes, which had a higher minimum quantity and we ordered more of them. 
Yeah, that's um, great. Starting a starting a retail business where your initial orders are low because that's often the barrier. We, we see it a lot at Virgin Startup. People are like, well, I need fifty thousand pounds because the minimum order is X, and you're like, that's yeah. crazy, crazy risk. And they're like, no, it's going to work. And you're like, well, it might, but you're going to be the one stuck with the loan uh, if it doesn't. So that's a great. It's like it's almost like a reason to work out which products can I buy uh, <laughs> really low level, uh, low in volume because then you can experiment to see if they sell. Um, yeah. so a really nice example. Uh, Roshan, how has managing the financial tr transition been for you? Yeah, it's okay. Like I did get that. I got a um, loan from Virgin Startup and most of well, everything that has um, in terms of buying the products, packaging has been from like my part time job. So, yeah, before I was before I left Amazon, I did have quite a bit of money saved up and that allowed me to buy um, 100 of quantity of each product. So we've got three products. Um, and still now I work part time. So the goal is to go full time with the business by the end of this year. At the minute, I support my personal life with my part time job. So I work in like I was kind of described as like an African and Caribbean Tesco. So they do like fresh mangoes, papaya, planting. So I support my personal life with that. And then whatever I the profits from the grocery, I then reinvest it into like research and development to making new products. So, yeah, we're not there yet, but we'll get there. But that's impressive. That's impressive, um, Roshan, to be to like because that sounds like a classically tiring job mentally yeah. and physically. When you have days where you are, you do feel knackered from it. What? How do you get yourself going? Like, how do you structure things so you're then like, right, I'm into the grocery. Is it is it purely from the passion for the project, or like, how do you keep yourself focused on it? Yeah, I definitely think it comes from the passion and the enthusiasm to wanting to grow it into how I see it in the future so I do take days that I only work three days a week so that allows me to work on the grocery the other days um so it's a lot it's a lot of late nights I do sometimes think you know the glam people glamorize uh, being an entrepreneur and it's not always glamorous there's a lot of sleepless nights there's a lot of you know worrying um but I wanted to do this and I know I'm going to make a success of it so kind of that kind of quietens when I'm getting the self-doubt and the or the negativity drumming in, I'm like, okay, you can actually do this because look what you've created. Yeah, thank you for sharing that, Roshan. And I think there's a couple of questions here that maybe we want to dive into the the tougher bits a bit more. So, um, when you have had your uh, bigger doubts, or yes, okay, I'm motivated and purposeful, but what's been the hardest thing in the last year in terms of the businesses um, you've been running and what you've been trying to do, and how importantly have you pulled yourself out of that? So, if you can put yourself back to that moment where it really felt hard where you really thought this isn't going to work out. I've talked to a lot of people about this. I don't know if it's, you know, what's the, what were your biggest fears in that moment? And how did you, how were you able to pull, pull yourself out of it? Yeah, I definitely think it was like the first, initial first three months. Like No, the first, so I launched on the 11th of March. And then by the 23rd of March, we was in lockdown. Now, so I was kind of like, oh my goodness, like I've built it up for all these years to this point kind of have it as like a pivotal moment and then all of a sudden the world goes into like a global lockdown and I'm thinking why are people gonna want to buy my skincare if you know what I mean they've got other stuff to worry about but how I take solace in that is that I do have a daily routine so I'm every day I wake up I listen to a 10 minute mindfulness meditation positive affirmations I journal when I'm feeling low I just don't do anything I don't I can't put my energy into the business if I haven't built myself up to a certain point and before especially in the early stages i would kick myself about that I'd be like you've got to keep going like everyone says you've got to keep busy you've got to keep working but 
that doesn't work for me. Like I'm very prone to burnout. So I find that taking time to maybe like have a bath, maybe meditate, maybe listen to a podcast, go for a walk in nature. I know it sounds very esoteric to say that, but I do think it yeah. really does help calm me. And then in that sense, it comes like, okay, reality check. It's not the end of the world that your ingredients are four weeks delayed. It happens. You're just going to have to roll with the punches and yeah, just yeah. know that we're living in a different time at the minute and people are forgiving for delays and you just can't beat yourself up about stuff that you can't control. I can only control my feelings and yeah, I've got, be- I've got better at learning how to do that. We are downloading some serious wisdom here at Virgin Startup tonight. <laughs> I mean, these podcasts can just get out of the way. It's all here. It's all here. I mean, seriously, if I knew all that when I was at my first startup, I'd be absolutely smashing it now. It's so important, though. And I think the, the thing that I love, I love all those things you just said, but especially was like, this is what works for me. And, and it's recognizing it, right? We're all different. Some people love that hustle. I'm going deeper. I'm going to get scrapped yeah. away. And because they, because, you know, that's how they work. And, but it's not right. It's not right for anyone. It's like, where do you top yourself? How do you re-energize so you can do the do the work really well? Um, how about for yourself, Hannah? What how what's been a low point and how do you get out of it? I think a low point for me was when we we ordered the first batch of box jigsaws and we had ordered um, you know, over 300 boxes and they had arrived and the the cotton drawstring bag that came inside the box had a nylon string draw so as in the tie that you tied mm. the bag was nylon so i called and said there's a situation here uh, you sent me the wrong product they then had to send me uh 300 drawstring bags and i had to individually um put the jigsaw pieces into the correct bag and re- repackage the boxes um and that was whilst i was moving house so i lived in london and i now live in ashford so I had that to deal with. Um, and so we were, we were getting stockist orders, but I was spending hours and hours and hours literally transferring the jigsaw pieces into the bags. And like after an or- like doing a whole order and then finding a piece on the floor was genuinely heartbreaking. <laughs> um, the, the bags that obviously then were waste, um, you know, we didn't use in the product. They're actually being used for art supplies now. Um, art supplies that are being donated. Um, they're being used to like collect those art supplies and being get, given to underprivileged children and asylum seekers in Kent. So that was kind of like a nice silver lining to that. Um, the things that get me out of the low, like, like that, um, are probably my dog. <laughs> Taking my dog for walks um, massively helps. He's a cockapoo um, and I love him to bits. Um, and other things that kind of help me are when I get like a new jigsaw and I actually do the jigsaw for the first time, it's, it, it makes it worthwhile. Um, and especially working with um, artists. We've just worked with Laura Goosens, who's um, a collage artist. She cuts out her, all her items by hand and then she she like arranges them and scans them in. and um, Genuinely, it's, it's made me so happy working with artists like her who, who are so passionate about her art. Um, and then, you know, we've been able to put on a jigsaw for her. You know, we've paid her for it for this. Um, but yeah, it's that's been amazing. I feel like I, things like that have just really helped to keep going and makes me want to find lots of different artists to work with. And like the collaboration side of it has been such a big thing for me. Uh, especially in lockdown and you know living in a in a city where I don't know anyone apart from my husband um it's been really nice um yeah 
well you're you're brilliant at reaching out to people and i think depending on some of us feel like oh we all have to be extroverts like to, to be successful entrepreneur or actually there's as much advantage now as being to being an introvert or, or further down that scale because along that scale because you can reach out in different ways um and then we do this with authors at rebel book club you know you've got these publishers all these people around them agents and so on and now you know depending on which social media channel we just message directly and we got seth godin who in the startup world is the big is a big gun right and we got him to come along to our rebel book club um and because we just found him like a way to message him directly and say hey and it's much more personal so 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 you're so good at that um hannah um aisha how what's been a low point and how did you get out of it um so i've got two points that i think i can probably discuss um one is more, I would say, about sort of finances, I guess, to sort of touch on what we were speaking about before. Um, because I sort of started a chat, you know, not-for-profit, and I was putting all my money into that. And I kind of, because it was so quick and it all happened so fast and, you know, running along behind COVID, I didn't probably plan too much in advance. So I had a month where I was looking basically at what could have been the end of everything financially. Um and, you know, I hadn't been paying myself. So I was, you know, all the sort of where am I going to pay my rent? How am I going to pay my bills? You know, how am I going to provide food for people? We were also running cooking classes for kids at that time. So where am I going to get the ingredients? I've got orders for platters and I don't necessarily have the cash flow to buy everything in. Um, and I remember just sitting myself down and saying to myself, just just hold your nerve because, you know, you've got yourself this far. And actually, you can't worry about what's going to happen next week because we don't know what's happening next week. So all you can deal with is today's problems. So let's just kind of take it day at a time. And I just said to myself, just just wait, just you've got until the end of the month. So just just see what happens. And, you know, I'm still here. We got to the end of the month and I had an amazing surge of donations and things turned around and, you know, I was booked for more cooking classes and, and a year later. So hold your nerve would be one thing I say to myself a lot, just don't panic. Um, and then another example I, of when it kind of probably went all a little bit wrong was at the end of uh, December. So um, we, I was lucky enough to do the, a couple of large um, uh, Christmas parties. So for Virgin, I catered and we did, we sent, you know, like 350 platters out to loads of different addresses. Um, we, not for Virgin, but for other um, sort of direct to um, consumer products that we were selling, we were reliant on our courier company and I don't know if you guys, you probably, most of you probably know that, you know, at Christmas, the surge of all these boxes going through Royal Mail and then, you know, it was Christmas and it was cold and everything went wrong. Um, and our product is 24 hours and it perishes because it's completely fresh. So if there are delays, that's it. Um, and effectively, my courier company called me and said, we can't honour any more bookings. And we had like 150 that were due to go out in the next week. And they said, that's it. We can't take, we can't do it. We can't deliver your platters. So I had to individually go around every single client that had ordered food for Christmas, right up until Christmas Eve and say, I'm really sorry, but your food isn't coming. And for me, I thought, oh my God, this is the end of, you know, this is it. This is how it ends. And pretty much everybody I spoke to said, it's not your fault. We'll take a voucher instead. And we just moved that business to January. And I was honestly overwhelmed and reduced to tears by how, understanding customers were if you're honest and you really just explain what's happened and 
yeah, I think we probably only lost out on about 30, 40 orders, which in the grand scheme of things isn't that bad. And everybody else was happy to take a voucher. And for me, that's the biggest lesson I could have learned is to have a little faith. Yeah, that's a great, those are great lessons, Aisha. And I think that something we've seen a lot more of this year uh, is, is the goodwill towards small business and startups want to try new products and services, go local, uh, more sustainable, more purposeful, all of that. But also to forgive um, if if yeah. you do exactly what you just did, because everyone knows it's it's hard. It's hard enough anyway when you're running a business, a small business, let alone in, in COVID and a pandemic and everything else. Um, so much, so much great stuff you shared. Thank you, all of you. We're going to do one more round of questions. Um, I want to talk tech briefly. Um, and if there's any more questions that people have in the chat, there have been lots, but any more, anyone else wants to say something quickly, ask a quick question, um, do so. And then in a, about five minutes, we're going to go into these breakout rooms and you can talk to each other or talk to mentors. Um, so technology, uh, we're making puzzles, we're making natural skincare products, we're making food. Like this isn't tech, right? But you have all used tech to build your businesses, to sell and market um, and deliver everything you're doing. How have you figured out the technology pieces? What's been the, what's been, what have you done? And what's your favorite tool that's, that's really helped you? Roshan. I would say favorite tool at the minute is um, Instagram. I think um, we use quite a lot of beauty influencers as what Hannah uh, mentioned before. And I think because beauty is quite a visual product, I think the, the using the bright products in, um, in our packaging just really helps with user-generated content so that's how you know i've been able to build the glossary basically is just through instagram and through pr i work with an amazing like pr um agency called lima comms and they get my products in front of influencers beauty editors who then share it on instagram who then refer it to their friends um so i definitely say instagram is my favorite nice and is your, <laughs> is your online shop what's that built on that's on shopify and Shopify. And I and you, picked Shopify because it was easier um, just to set up because I don't really have tech background and like web design background. So I um, was able to kind of like customize it myself. And you can also link it to your social media platform. So I do have like shoppable posts on Instagram that then link to my Shopify. And, and to learn how to build and get Shopify live, how much time did you invest in to make, to make that happen? I think the whole website probably... It took a, it was stretched over probably a couple of months, but I could have condensed it into probably a couple of weeks. Okay. And and yeah. now you you can manage it really easily. Oh yeah, and it's really easy. Like you've got the analytics in the background, it's just really easy to use. Fantastic. Hannah, what about yourself? Yeah, I was just gonna say Shopify and all the apps that come with it. So yeah, something that works really well for us is um Omnisend. So it's just a it's a newsletter app. And you, um, it integrates with Shopify, and when you go on the website, you get a pop-up. Um, and we do 10% off if you sign up to our newsletter. And um, that massively drives sales. Um, so people get an automatic email, and then it welcomes them to a piece of the puzzle, and then they get a unique code, which allows them to get 10% off. Um, and that's been, that's been amazing for us. And then we try every week, we, we, we launch a newsletter, um, talking about a new launch or a collaboration or a product or something and uh, or like a deal like free shipping and um, that works really well for us. Fantastic. Aisha, anything to add on the tech? Honestly, I'm not the most techie person. So for me, I built my website on Wix and when I managed to figure out how to actually get an online shop on there and then for the money to come you know, directly through and I had to stop generating invoices manually, 
that was like a huge tech achievement for me. So um, any tech achievement, anything that I figure out is, is, a, is a big one for me. But yeah, I think just with tech, I think just not being afraid of it and just yeah working within your ability but pushing yourself and, and, and the reality is is that there's a there are so many free and cheap tools to get our ideas out of the world now that didn't even exist yeah and you can ago. do it yourself if you if you take the time you actually can do it yourself exactly a uh, couple quick round of questions to wrap up um uh question here how did you fix your how did you price your products figuring out price always it's probably not a quick answer but aisha how did you work out your pricing um, a little bit of trial and error. Um, I think with food, we have a bit of a, um, so we learn when you're catering that you price, you, you have a price, you effectively charge like two times the ingredients costs. So that's something that I kind of benchmark with, but then that's what you would use for catering. So with a platter, which was different, it was a slightly different price. Um, trial and error, you speak to friends, families, you do Instagram polls, you say, you know, this is our idea, this is what we're thinking of pricing at, is it high, is it low? You've also got to factor in delivery costs, because if you price something at £25, you know, and if it's going to cost another tenner to get it there, that's that affects the overall price. Um, and then you've also got to work out really, you know, how much is each, in my case, ingredients going to cost, you know, so I, I know that, you know, I break it down to a slice of brie, you know, that's 8p. So you've got to really do your costing perfectly. Then you've got to make sure you add your time on top of it. So you've got to price yourself competitively, but not not to the point that you're making a loss because then you're not going to get anywhere. Yeah, interesting. Hannah? Yes, similar to Aisha. Um, we, we price, I mean, we're, we're quite expensive compared to other, I mean, we're very expensive compared to other jigsaw uh, puzzles. But what we were made in Britain, we use a cotton bag instead of a plastic bag, which is a pound extra. Um, and um, we, we buy in small batch. So the unit cost for us is actually quite expensive compared to other other jigsaws that are made in Europe, for example. Um, so like a 500 piece jigsaw is priced at 30 pounds. Um, and we have to consider also the fact that if we're selling to a stockist, they're wanting 50 percent uh, margin. Uh, not on the high street, they take 25%. So all these all these um, third-party marketplaces, we have to take into consideration um, their commission. Um, and we, you know, we make a loss on post. We 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 send everything 48-hour tracked, but we only charge 199. So it's you know you're not buying a puzzle that's 30 pounds, and then you're also charged 475 on top because that's ridiculous. So um, we do take a you know a, a, a cut on the um, on the post as well. Yeah, that's really interesting. Thanks for sharing. Uh, Roshan, what about pricing? Yeah, I echo all what Aisha and Hannah said. So I basically work out the cost per unit and then I basically go through what well, I've done a lot of um, competitor analysis. Okay, so this brand charges this much. I would be happy to pay this much because I know that the glows we use is like cold pressed, um, high quality ingredients. And you kind of balance it. That's how I balance it up. Yeah, it's so interesting. And it, essentially, you've described the three ways. The classic three ways. So if anyone's listening in, like, there's three ways to approach pricing. One is you go product based, which is like exactly as, as we've just heard. You work out what the thing is going to cost, the unit costs and so on. And then you add a margin on top. Um, the second is you look at the market, what the competitors charging. Can I just go below them or just above them? How far above could I stretch with my extra added value? Um, and the third and those two, you know, you've all used them and it, effectively by the sounds of it. And that's very common. But the third way, which you just mentioned, Roshan, 
which is potentially the most powerful but the hardest to execute is thinking about the value to the customer like which is which often is a it's more emotive um it's less based on facts and data um and it's around this sort of like well and i think hannah you kind of alluded to it there it's like well yeah we are a lot more expensive but your your position is different as as all of yours are your position is different and the value therefore to that customer in that moment is 30 pounds that's absolutely fine 30 pounds is fine because i'm getting this amazing experience um and so and so for anyone thinking about pricing right now my i would always encourage and these are great examples i always encourage you to like start high basically start high and you can you're going to discount anywhere you're going to have partners and so on um third parties to sell through but if you start high you can come down if you start low it's really hard to push it up um, i've yeah. learned that the hard way so i thought i'd pass that on um my final quick question to the three of you um and thank you this has been so like it's been wonderful talking to you and you've given me so much you know i've been in this game for 20 years you just give me a load of confidence and energy um and and i know all the tricks but you you've like you you're demonstrating you're doing it and it's it's really inspiring and you're making a difference to people and my final question is like who else is doing it brilliantly um can you recommend a brand or a startup or an individual who you thinks who you really admire who's doing something really cool right now um that you'd love people to hear about yeah, mine would be, I've um, recently connected with an entrepreneur, her name is Amma, and she is the founder of a wellness brand called This Is Planted, and at the minute they specialise in um, like hair care products, and just seeing her journey, she also launched in um, lockdown, she launched back, I think it was in July, and she's gone on to, yeah, be, make crazy numbers and the amount of people that she's helped like have had long-term like hair growth issues is just incredible so i would definitely say check out um Amma of this is planted this is planted so look at that in the chat quickly thanks rashad hannah have you got someone to spotlight well i was going to say um i think they call it south london market maker market um and um they they started out as a physical um uh, market for for independent businesses, small businesses, and then with, when lockdown happened, they they went online and they they now do virtual virtual markets on Instagram, and it has been crazy how how well they've done and how many small businesses they support and champion, and they do um, IGTV uh, live, so they interview people like the makers, and um, yeah, I think they've done really well and. Um, Definitely check them out if you've got a small business, like a product business. Um, you can apply for their kind of regular markets through Instagram. Give it, give us the name once more, Hannah. They're called a, Sund, uh, a South London. I think their Instagram is a South a South London market. Is that right? Makers Market. Makers Market. Yeah. Wait, wait, look, it, look it up quickly and drop it drop it in the chat now. Okay. Um, yeah. Aisha, who who do you want to spotlight? So I was going to spotlight a South London Makers Market. <laughs> <laughs> um, because they actually raised three and a half thousand pounds for vital meals they did a raffle for us um because i've sold through their platform as well um so really recommend them but the other person so um a guy, an, i'll spotlight a guy called michael brennan and he runs a company called toot toot which is a, an app um for children it's an anonymous an app for kids to report bullying at schools um and i've just admired him from the beginning and i think that the work they do is amazing and 
just having a place for kids to be able to having a safe space for kids to be able to go to if they don't know who else to turn to or they don't want to you know speak to a teacher or they want to have that anonymity I think that that is it's an incredible it's an incredible app so yeah Toot Toot Michael Brennan and a South London Makers Market wow there's two for one there Toot Toot (laughs) is the one to it's it's Aisha's rec Um, (laughs) if you would like to connect with uh, Aisha Hannah and Roshan directly you can quickly tap on their names and message them they may not want you to because they've got so much (laughs) of course they do Um, you can connect with them and support them and buy from them and um, share what you're doing as well um, thank you so much, all of you, for really a really fantastic conversation and stories. It's it's so inspiring. It's always inspiring talking to startup founders, but especially in the context of where we are now. And it's it's more important than ever that we build businesses that solve real problems in the world. And you're all doing that brilliantly. So thank you. We wish you all the luck. You've been listening to a Virgin Startup podcast. Virgin Startup are a not-for-profit organization set up to help founders start up and thrive. Don't be shy. Let us know what you thought by leaving a review whenever you listen to your podcast. And to find more about how we can help you start and scale your business, head over to virginstartup.org. Thanks to our friends at Virgin Money, we're able to make our meetups free to attend, providing thousands of early-stage founders with the support they need to start and scale businesses in the UK. Virgin Money are here to disrupt the status quo. They want everyone to have a much happier relationship with money. Through their brilliant colleagues, inspiring spaces and digital solutions, they are doing everything they can to offer a life more virgin. They provide a full range of banking products and services to help founders at every stage of their business journey. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast and you'll join us next time for more founder stories.